Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. So settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. Hell in a Handbasket It was late, real late, and I was way behind schedule. Hadn't slept for about two days, maybe more. I don't know, time blends together when you're on the road. I usually mark it by how many times I hear Sean Hannity on the radio, but I hadn't had signal for a while. You know, it was the damnedest thing. You can always get Hannity on the radio, no matter where you are. He's one of the last consistent things in this country. Should have known something was wrong when I couldn't get Hannity. I had to piss like a jacked-up racehorse, so I turned off the highway. Figured I could catch some Z's while I was at it, get some hot food, maybe some coffee. At this rate... I'd have to graduate to energy drinks, and I was none too happy about it. It was always a point of pride for me. Didn't need any of that sugary caffeine juice potheads are always chugging all the time. Just good old-fashioned coffee. Black, like John Wayne took it. But I was getting older. Company was pushing harder. And I was getting slower. Things are changing, and I don't like it none. The Sunoco sign loomed above the road. It was the only thing for miles. Now, I don't like gas stations out in BFE. They gouge the shit out of their diesel, and the night shift is always run by douchebags with no respect. Pisses me off. If it weren't for truckers like me, these shit stains wouldn't even exist. But what can you do? The country's going to hell in a handbasket. Anyway... It wouldn't be my first choice, but it were my only choice, so I headed on to it. It was out there, let me tell you. Seemed like I was driving a good, I don't know, ten minutes on that shit stain exit road, and the sign didn't get no closer. My my bladder just about had it, so I pulled over. Road was skinnier than a pigeon's pecker, but I figured it was abandoned. Ain't nobody riding out here at 3 a.m., got me? Anyway, I pulled over just before a curve that... Had a stand of trees around it. Even though it was three in the morning, don't mean there's no reason to have some modesty. Man's gotta have some privacy when he goes, you know? So, I'm standing there pissing, and I don't think nobody can see me through the trees, but I can peer through them and see on the other side of the stand, and I could make something out. Now, I weren't so sure about. See, first, I thought it was a roadside memorial, a cross, one what you see honoring some folk who died on the way to home. Maybe you were drunk or tired, or maybe you were just unlucky. That curve were treacherous, and that stand of trees covered things up, right? Soda thing always makes me sad, and it warmed my heart to see someone put a little cross up for the fella. But what got me was it didn't quite look right. 
couldn't tell you why it took so long to figure out, but them memorials are small, you know, they're, they're only a few feet tall at the most, even them big ones you see in New Mexico with all the flowers. This one, though, this were a full cross, and it weren't on the roadside, neither damn thing were in the middle of the road proper, right in the middle, and there was something on it. A body. A little one. The size of a kid. A young kid. And each layer of realization hit me like an ocean wave on the shore at high tide, coming fresh after my mind processed the previous one. Some motherfucker had put a goddamn kid on the cross and put him in the middle of the road. I thought there had to be some mistake. Maybe that's what kids did in the country here, like how my pals used to dare me to go to the big irrigation drain tunnel for overflow and flash floods. We all used to say there was a minotaur lived in there. Country boys with nothing else to do are inclined to play them sorts of games. When you live in such a peaceful place, boys gotta find his courage somewhere. But this kid were small. It weren't right. I put away my equipment and zippered up, then made my way straight at him, cutting through them trees. The closer I got, the uglier my concern got. Boy couldn't have been older than six or seven, stripped down to his nothings, tied on the cross like Jesus. Shit, I was so mad, it didn't make no difference if this were some boys testing muster or any other, no game like this was right for a boy that age. When I were close enough, I could see him shiver. I called out to him. His head snapped in my direction, his mouth all open and wide, and I could make out the dark marks around his pale face like he'd been running through the bramble patch. His eyes were shiny. Now, now don't mistake me, I don't mean shiny like he was crying. I don't mean that at all. Maybe glowing is the right word. See, my brother and me, we used to hunt coyote for the bounty, and this one time we decided on being a special type of dumbass and did it at night, thinking them animals being nocturnal might be easier to call when they was out hunting. Sure enough, we fell on a whole pack of the mean sons of bitches. The moon bounced off their eyes the way the sun do with quarters at the bottom of a wishing well. So tiny and bright, but with a, with a cold light, metallic like a polished gun barrel. And that's how this boy's eyes was. At the time, I was too rational, thinking too skeptical. I was tired as hell and I figured it was a trick of the light. If I could go back, if I could, if I could go back in time and remind myself of the coyotes, I would. I, I asked the boy, I said, Son, you alright? He didn't say nothing, just whimpered. His eyes got all tearful then, maybe that's partly why I forgot. He got to trembling more, downright shaking then. Boy tried talking, I think, but I couldn't make it out none, just sounded like babbling. His face was cut up and he had fresh little cuts along his legs and back, some along his arms. Maybe it was because I was up close now, but I didn't notice how many there was before. I had this, this passing notion he'd gotten more, but I pushed it off quick. 
I hadn't taken eyes off the boy, so it was impossible he could have gotten mole. I partly wondered if he'd gotten skinnier, too. I, I told him, it it's okay, son. We're gonna get you off of there, all right? Everything's gonna be a-okay. The cross was tall, but so am I, so I could reach the arms where they tied him. I had this dark thought of bitter gratitude that whoever did this to the boy didn't follow the Bible proper. I kept talking soft assurances to him while I focused on the knots. The rope was tough, prickly Cecil pulled so tight it made the boy's wrists go black and blue. He'd been up there for a while. It was a miracle, I thought then it was a miracle at least, that he hadn't died of exposure. The second knot was harder on account I had to push him up while I undid it. The kid was too weak to hold himself up, I guess. He didn't have nothing to push himself up with at his feet, and he just sort of hung limp and babbled more. The sounds was getting more and more excited-like, and I couldn't help but feel a little glimmer of pleasure at helping him. Wondered if it'd be the sort of thing Hannity might cover one day. Some weirdo pagan freaks fucking up a kid with sacrilege and a good man come by to save him. Felt good. Once I got the second knot undid, the boy slumped off like he was reaching out for a hug. I held him and reassured him, let him know he was safe now. Nobody was gonna hurt him now. Seemed to calm him down some because he stopped babbling, but... He wouldn't stop shaking. I think he started shaking more closer we got to my rig. I remember... I remember feeling sorry for the poor kid. I put him in the passenger seat and buckled him up. Seatbelt barely fit on him and I sent a little prayer up that I could get him someplace safe before the police found me with a half-naked boy in my truck. Crossword dug into the earth and the shit-stained road was too narrow for me to go around it, especially not with a 20-foot trailer, and anyway, there wasn't no holy purpose to keep that fucking thing up. I apologized to God as I drove slowly into it, hoping it weren't so deep in the earth it would damage the grill. The thick wood snapped and crackled, and the little boy on the passenger seat shook violent, damn near like he was dying of hypothermia. I reached out a hand to put on his shoulder, but that seemed to make it worse, so after I broke that fucking blasphemous thing in half, I just turned on the heat and searched the radio for something a kid might like. There weren't nothing but static, so I turned it off. I kept driving us for the Sunoco. I figured I still needed the gas and I could use their landline to call the police, or maybe they'd know who he was at the station and I could call his parents. I tried not to think what I'd do if I thought maybe it was them who'd done it to him. I weren't prepared for that. I tried talking to him, or, or I don't know, maybe it's better to say talking at him, just trying to, just trying to fill the silence. I told him about the overflow pipes and how my buddies used to make me go inside without a flashlight. I told him how scared it made me. Told him about the Minotaur. He made a smacking sound. I thought maybe he was laughing at first, like a, a quiet little chuckle, and I was a little happy he could appreciate the humor in the situation. Maybe it 
alleviate some of his own grief about his predicament. So I leaned into a little more. I told him how this one time they hounded me so bad about how I ran out there scared thinking I heard the Amino Tall this one time that when I went in next, I was I was more scared of them than I was of the monster we'd imagined in the tunnels. I looked him over to gauge his reaction, and he stared right at me. The moon hit his eyes again like I seen when he was up on the cross, and this time I thought about the coyotes. Maybe it's cause he was drooling. Honest to God, hand on a stack of Bibles, thick ropes of drool dribble out of this boy's mouth like he were a great Dane. He opened his mouth and let a great, big, pointed tongue loose around his mouth to slop it up. If I hadn't gone already, I would have pissed myself. Now, I don't care what you say about this next part. I know what happened to me. And that's all I'll say on that. But the boy changed. He he liquefied like a welding rod at 220 volts. He melted right into the flow in a shiny pool, little silver beads rolling off the edge of the seat and dropping into the puddle, then reformed into reformed into something else. It weren't no little boy. When it reformed, it was twat no maybe three or four times the size it was when I took it off the cross. It took up the whole side of the cab, all 300-something pounds of scaly muscles with tufts of hair sticking out between them. It had the head of a bull, and its horns grew so wide and so fast it cracked the windshield and tore through the seat. It stretched and flexed its whole body body like it'd been cramped up and the reptilian spines running down its back shuddered with pleasure. <sighs> and I know what you're thinking I'm saying it was, but I ain't saying it. I ain't gonna say that's what it was. The truck swerved and the steering wheel groaned as I twisted it trying to keep the rig from flipping over while screaming at the top of my lungs and thrashing my body at the thing, trying to I don't fucking know, scare it off, fight back at 40 miles an hour. I slammed on the brakes struggling with the rig and the thing put its claw over my face and squeezed. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't see and I decided fuck the rig, it's paid off and ain't no good to me if I'm dead so I reached down into the storage pocket of the door and grabbed the first thing I wrapped my fingers around. I got a good hit in. Slam the tire pressure gauge right into that thing's spooky glowing eye. It roared, recoiling back, taking the gauge with it. I'd jump out of the cab faster than a cat lapping up chain lightning, but had my mind around me long enough to grab the crescent wrench in the door. I took off into the field beside the road. I glanced back and saw the thing launch out of the cab, thundering after me. I knew I couldn't outrun it. Outside the truck, it'd grown even bigger. Looking into the field reminded me of corn mazes. Mazes. It made me sick. I only had one choice. I had to stand and fight. I swung the wrench more like I was warding it off than actually trying to connect. 
It stood straight, looming above me, nostrils flared, horns framing the moon. The thing lashed out and I stumbled back, tripping on a rock. Dumb luck, them claws would have taken my goddamn head off if I hadn't taken that spell. I guess that made it cocky. It huffed a few times, and if a bull can smile, that's exactly what it did. I don't know precisely what happened next. There must have been a rock beside me, and it had to be a big one. I remember the weight. I remember the pain in the thing's roll, coloring it like a fire while it clutched its face. I don't remember how it got on its back. The next clear thing I remember was the crescent wrench slipping out of my grip on account of all the blood. Uh, the thing looked like a little boy again. Just just a boy. A little broken boy dressed in nothing but his skivvies, moonlight, and blood. So you tell me, if you was in my position, what would you do? Go go what? Go to that Sunoco and tell them burnouts with the shitty attitudes? Please help me, I need your phone, I've been in an emergency. What, take the ball with me to the nearest hospital, maybe a maybe hundred miles away on an empty tank? No? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I used every rag I had to clean off. Got back in my truck and drove off. Got gas in the next town at Love's, where they treat folks like me right, and got a free hot shower with a 50-gallon fill-up. I made my deadline, started drinking, and never told a soul about what I found on the cross. I don't take shit-stained roads no more, and I pray a lot less. Told you this country going to hell in a handbasket. Here comes the sun. The old farmer always woke before daybreak. His body knew the time. Years ago, he had a clock radio, and it would wake him with a weak signal mired in static, the sound like wind shushing through trees in the mountains. The radio was set to an oldies station, but when the songs became less and less familiar to the farmer and his body woke him up earlier and earlier of its own accord, he donated the radio to the churchyard sale. He lived in near-perfect silence now, except for the occasional song from the battered record player on his porch. He made coffee and stared through the kitchen window above the sink, gazing into the darkness beyond. Many things needed his attention today, as they did every day, and he used the still, quiet time before the sun came to nourish himself. He took his coffee to the porch and eased into his rocking chair facing east. Watching the sunrise, being the first to hear the awakening birds, and enjoying a fresh cup of coffee. He treasured these simple pleasures above all else.
The farm was far from town, but it was close enough to a large Air Force base that the dishes in the cabinet rattled several times a day with the force of sonic booms. He enjoyed the roar of jets tearing the sky overhead. Recently, they rippled through the clear blue more often. When he went into town, he overheard the word war sprinkled throughout conversation like a light rain. It bothered him, of course, but he was old and happy and did his best not to let it get to him. The sun still slumbered when he finished his coffee and went inside for another cup. On his way out, he stopped by the old case in the living room, possessed by the amusing notion that it would be very pretty to listen to Here Comes the Sun while waiting for the sunrise. He retrieved the old album, still pristine, and brought it to the turntable on the porch. As the record played, the farmer watched the sky change. By the opening bars of track seven, it wore the faint blue which precedes the sun. The song went, Sun, 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 here it comes. And there was a great flash on the horizon near the place where the jets took off. For the briefest moment, the farmer believed it was the very edge of the sun peeking over the horizon, but, but it was too bright, too white. He only had enough time for confusion to settle in before the shock wave rippled over the field, followed by fire. Ten thousand miles away, the young president poured a drink. He put the nuclear codes back into the briefcase, locked it, and then asked God to forgive him. His wife wasn't speaking to him, so he tuned the radio to an oldies station. Through faint static, George Harrison told him it would be all right. The sun was on its way. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. I hope you enjoyed the stories. If you'd like to hear more, find me on YouTube. I have a bonus episode there titled, So He Sang. Leave a comment and tell me what you think. If you want to help the show, keep listening. Share your favorite story with a friend or family member. You can get early episodes by supporting me on Patreon, where I also share insights behind each story. Thanks again for spending this time with me. Peace.